Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. This morning's reading is taken from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. We're reading from chapter 5, verses 16 to 21, and you will find it on page 1160 in the Church Bibles. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we stand together. Father, that is indeed our prayer, that you by your spirit would take your written word and speak to us, that you would lead us to to know, to understand, to love, to serve even more the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, do take a seat. And it really is a privilege for me to be here with you this morning. Um, it really is. It's, it's quite unbelievable. If you'd have asked me 17 years ago or if you'd have told me 17 years ago when I was sat somewhere over there listening to Philip Hacking preach that one day I would be here in the pulpit, I would have laughed my head off and I said, no way. But here we are. God is good and there's hope for us all, I think. It really is a privilege to be with you for two things. I think this morning brings together two of my great passions. Ah, that was the picture just in case the kids didn't turn up, but they did. But two of my great passions. One of them is seeing people changed, seeing lives changed through the preaching of God's word. And the second, as you may have picked up, and if you know me, you'll know, is our great passion for hungry for acorn camps, for seeing teenagers reach with the gospel to see the Hungarian church built up. And uh, as, as you leave, if you want to find out more about Acorn Camps, I'll have some of these booklets that you can take and read if you don't know what's going on. So it really is a privilege to be with you. And we're looking at some dense passages from 2 Corinthians where Paul is addressing a church in first century Corinth, which is a church like any church. It's a struggling church. It's a church that doesn't have all the right answers. It's a church that has a mixed group of people. And Paul is trying to encourage them to stay faithful to Christ and also sort out a number of the issues. But our 
verses that we've heard read to us this morning are basically all about one thing. And you'll have seen that in the title, even in the Bibles. It's all about reconciliation. And hopefully with the, uh, the help of the Hungarian flag, uh, you may just even remember uh, some points of the talk as we look at kind of three aspects of what reconciliation is and how it really is good news for us all. There were two brothers uh, living on adjacent farms and they'd, they'd farmed together really well for about 40 years until suddenly there was this rift between them. They're not really sure how it started. It started, I guess, with a small misunderstanding, but then that grew into something a little bit bigger before it exploded into harsh exchanges of words. And there was a silence for a week. One day there was a knock at the door and this guy, that doesn't really work, does it? There was a knock at the door and um, a guy turned up holding a carpenter's box and he just said, I'm in town for a couple of days, is there any chance you could give me a couple of days work? And John, the older brother, said, oh yes. He said, do you see that neighbour over there? He said, that's not just my neighbour, that's my brother. A week ago, there was just the field between us, but you can see he's taken his bulldozer and he's basically put a creek in between us. He's joined the river and now there's this creek between us. He's done it to spite me, but I'll go one better. Can you build me a fence, an eight foot fence going all the way around? I don't want to see my brother's face anymore and I don't want to see his place. The carpenter thought it was a little bit awkward, but agreed to the job, said it would take a day. And the guy, John, had to go into town for the day. So he explained where everything was and the carpenter set to work. He said, I'll do you a job that will please you. John came back. He had that feeling, you know what it's like when you've been out at work all day and somebody's been doing some work on your house and you come back with anticipation. And as he came round the bend, waiting to see an eight-foot fence, his jaw dropped and his eyes opened. As he didn't see an eight-foot fence, but he saw a bridge from his side of the farm to the other. It was a nice bridge, handrails and all. It was a good job. And suddenly he saw his brother coming over. His brother couldn't quite believe it either. And his brother had his arms wide open and he said, I can't believe you've done this after all that I've done and said to you. Of course, the, the older brother couldn't quite believe it either. Um, and he walked to the bridge And slowly these two brothers, these two men had that slightly awkward male kind of, what do we do? Do we shake hands? Do we hug? But they moved closer, they embraced each other and they gave each other a big hug and they, well, in some ways they wondered, how did it all go wrong? They turned to the carpenter, the guy who'd done the job, and they said, will you stay around for a few more days? He was walking off and he said, no, I can't. I've got other bridges to build. It's a lovely story, isn't it? As you picture those two brothers who were together, something had come in the middle of them and yet they came back. I don't know whether the story's true. I found it on the internet, but I think it illustrates so clearly what reconciliation is all about. It's the restoration of friendly relations. It's bringing back what was broken. Something good in the first place gets damaged Something comes between two parties and it comes back together. And it's an incredible thing, isn't it, reconciliation? It's one of the most glorious things you'll ever see, isn't it, in this world? But it's not easy, is it, reconciliation? 
We all know what it's like, don't we, to have that gulf between us and maybe a friend, a colleague, a family member. Maybe it's even somebody in this church where something small was said or done and you don't really remember what it was now. It grew to be something a bit bigger and then it's turned into something which is just blown out of all proportion. And you know what it is to have that gulf between you and whoever they are. It's not right, is it? It's awkward. And you want it restored. It jars you. Reconciliation isn't easy. And if it's not easy for us, it's certainly not easy if you take it up a level. There's a great book and a film uh, that was uh, about Rwanda. As we forgive stories of reconciliation, how do you begin to reconcile with your neighbours after such atrocities? It's not easy. Even in Hungary, I see that it's not easy there with their difficult past of being overruled and run by various nations. There's still a hatred for some of the Russians, some of the people in the now socialist party that was the communist party. It's difficult to find reconciliation. Reconciliation in Hungary between the Hungarians and the Roma community, known as the gypsies. Reconciliation is not easy. But as you picture those two people coming across the bridge, it is so glorious when it does occur. And so as we look at this passage, it's packed full of treasures and basically we're going to look at it from three aspects and kind of dive in three times. So if you do have your Bibles open on page 1161, the first question we need to ask, I suppose, is this, where is the problem? Where does there need to be reconciliation? Is it between Paul and the Corinthians? Is it between people in the church? Have a look down in verse 18 and then expanded in verse 19. Where does reconciliation need to occur? If I was preaching at home in Chapeltown, slightly smaller church, smaller building, everyone's a bit closer, they know me well and they would be answering from the floor, but I appreciate in forward it's a little bit more difficult with more people and a bigger space. But you see the answer, don't you? Where's reconciliation needed? All of this, verse 18, is from God who reconciled us to himself. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself. That's where reconciliation needs to occur, between us and God, between God and his world. And the story that I I read doesn't really quite fit, does it? But it does touch on something of the Bible story, of how God creates the world with humankind, and it's meant to be a glorious relationship. People living together in harmony, But it goes wrong, doesn't it? We have dug a creek between ourselves and God because of our sin and rejection and rebellion towards God. It's not a spatial creek built by a bulldozer. It's more a moral creek, isn't it? As God cannot stand close to us when we reject him. There is a problem Although if you're anything like me, I, I spend quite a bit of time doing visitations in Chapeltown and sometimes it's a funeral visit. But I realise the world out there and the world of the friends and family that you know, they don't really think there's a problem, do they? Basically, the people I meet, they think, well, God's a kind of a God of love and, and I'm really not that bad, am I? They don't even see the need that, that we all need reconciliation. We have kind of 
the blood-red stain on our hands as a humankind. And that's our biggest need. Reconciliation with God. Paul needed reconciling. The Corinthian church needed reconciling. Paul thought that the world needed reconciling. Then, and I would suggest nothing's changed. The world needs reconciling to God. People in Fullwood need reconciling to God. And I guess that's why we're doing what we're doing with Acorn Camps. We're not going out to Hungary to kind of help the Hungarian teenagers along life's way with a a gentle help here and there, some wise words, somebody to talk to, as if they just got a little bit messed up in life. No, we're going out to Hungary to try and help the Hungarian church reach teenagers with the message that their biggest and deepest need is, as ours is in the UK with our teenagers, their biggest need, their biggest problem is that they need to come back to God. They live in a world, a world full of empty promises, offering them so much and giving so little. And they don't realise that deep down what they need is to become back in a relationship with God. If they continue living their life on that side of the river, it will ruin them. It will destroy them and ultimately it will lead will it not, to an eternity without Christ. And so I guess the way in which God has has gifted us and arranged our life, so that I met the most uh, lovely Hungarian, in fact, lovely person in the whole world, my wife, we then got married, and for us, we're going to Hungary. We've devoted our life to helping the Hungarian church reach teenagers with Christ, for Christ. Because that's what... They need the most. And I guess because of the English element, so many churches and teenagers, sorry, come on the camps just because we're English. You kind of don't need a Paul Williams or a Roger Carswell. You just turn up and you're English and the teenagers come. And so there's an incredible opportunity to help our brothers and sisters. And when you see that reconciliation come between somebody and God, let me tell you, it's one of the most amazing things, isn't it? When you've seen one of your friends actually come to Christ or a family member who you've prayed for for years and years and decades and finally they come back to God. It's one of those amazing things that makes even the hardest man cry. Isn't it? We had a guy, Janos, he was on one of our camps. He was actually a pastor's kid and uh, he struggled with that. And I remember talking to him. He was a leader, not a spiritual leader, but just helping with the translation and things. And he was going through a tough time. He was basically a prodigal son, I guess. And, but he was chewing over the issues. And then next year I came back and I'd already heard. But when I saw him, I knew things were different. He changed. He'd been reconciled to God. He was now training for the ministry, helping run the camp. And it's just one of the most amazing things in the world. Because we all need reconciliation but I guess secondly the teenagers in Hungary may say okay Andy yes we need reconciliation but how does that happen well have a look down again at verses 18 and 19 all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ verse 19 God was reconciling to the world to himself in Christ. 
That's how the problem is solved. Verse 19 makes it even clearer. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. That's cool, isn't it? What a great way to do it. So God sees the problem, sends his son Jesus, Jesus comes and lives, shows us how we should have lived, and then God just doesn't count our sins against us. That's what God does. It's all done. Some people think that, don't they? Some people think that that's all God does. But does God do that? Could God do that? Could God just wipe away and brush under the carpet the sins that Janosch committed, the rebellion that he had against God and the rebellion that I had against God? He couldn't, could he? Because his love for us, yes, is there, but it's linked to his justice, which is linked to his holiness, the fact that he keeps his word and he cannot and will not just brush sin under the carpet. It needs to be punished and dealt with. And we find out how, don't we? At the bottom in verse 21. What an incredible verse. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that we might become right with God. Isn't that just unbelievable? You're allowed to smile or nod your head slightly at this point. Isn't that unbelievable? I never get tired about preaching about this. This blows any other world religion out of the window. It's not about trying to be good enough. It's not about your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. It's outrageous grace. God just loves you so much that what does he do? He puts all of your sin onto somebody else. I was talking to a friend in Chapel Town, a lovely lady at our church, and she was telling me how she's fascinated by every Easter. She sees something new in the Easter story. And of course, we've all heard it before, haven't we? But she sees something new. And this year, she said, I was just reading a Bible, reading notes, and um, it helped me to understand that when God took my sin, he didn't just, as some of the songs say, take it on his shoulder. There's kind of biblical language for that, but much more than that, he took it on himself. He became those things. He became, verse 21, sin for us. At that moment on the cross that we just celebrated at Easter, when God has to turn away, that's because Jesus takes on our sin. He becomes the murderer, the adulterer, the liar, all of the bad things in this world. All of that sin goes on him. And he deals with it. And because of Jesus, he gives us in return his righteousness. And therefore we are white because of Christ. We're white. Therefore, verse 17, we realise these incredible words that many of you will know off by heart. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Unbelievable. God looks at us in the mess in which we find ourselves today, in the mess in which you find yourself in today. He looks at me, he looks at you, and what does he see? Forgiven, clean, pure, loved by me, adopted by God. You are more loved 
by God's, if you've turned to Christ, then you will ever know. God loves you. God loves you. Even in the mess in which you find yourself today. We're white because of Christ. Christ has in that sense built the bridge. Christ in that sense is the bridge. The means by which we can be reconciled to God. And that's great news for us going out to Hungary with Acorn Camps because it means that our identity isn't in running Acorn Camps. Our identity is in Christ, in who we are. And let me tell you that I, as Andy and my family, we're not some brilliant Christian family. We're not running some brilliant Christian charity that has all of the answers, that runs the best camps, has the best talks and is showing the Hungarian church exactly how to do things. We'd love to be that, but we're not. We go as people in a mess. But we go as people who are loved by God and God wants to use us. We go as new creation. God's done something in our life and he's transforming us. We're new, we're changed. But it's not the final creation. We're a work in progress. But God wants to use that work in progress. And God wants to use you as he wants to use me. Isn't that incredible? God loves you in the mess in which you find yourself because you are white in Christ because of what God has done in Christ for you. It's interesting as well in Hungary, I guess, as we partner with our our churches and particularly the pastors, in some ways Hungary is a little bit like the UK a, a number of decades ago in the sense that they look up to their pastors And they think sometimes that the pastors have all of the answers. And not just that, but the pastors have got it all sorted. But I think you know that the preacher here and your pastor here, Paul, is great. But he doesn't have it all sorted, nor do I. And so it's great to be able to go out to Hungary and help everybody in the church realise that they all have a role to play. And particularly, I guess we want to help people, help the church in Hungary and here. Help Christians to realise we don't have to pretend and perform. I realised, particularly as I was at Oak Hill and then as a curate in Chapel Town, I've realised that we're full of churches and people and leaders who are pretending and performing because they think that you have to be this good before you can do anything for God. Friends, this is the amazing thing about the gospel. We all need reconciliation and because of Christ, you can be used by God because he loves you in the mess in which you find yourself but it doesn't end there does it there's green still left to come the problem has been solved by Christ but more than that he gives us something to do he gives us a purpose and a calling in life which is so amazing have a look down in verses 18 19 and then 20 God, we've seen, has reconciled us to himself through Christ. And what has he done? What has he given to you and to me? He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, we are Christ's ambassadors. 
Wouldn't it be amazing to be an ambassador? I'd quite like that. I think the United States ambassador to the UN earns about 150,000 a year dollars. I'd probably trade my job maybe for that just for a year to help set up Acorn Camps. But it'd be a great job, wouldn't it? Can you imagine being an ambassador? So you go to a little meeting maybe. You're, let's imagine you're the United States ambassador to the United Nations. And you're sent to a little country. In fact, maybe it's a big country. You're in Africa. Little you in your suit with your iPad or Mac, whatever, and you're sitting before a world leader. And you feel quite small. And yet as you speak, you have the whole military might of the United States of America behind you. As you sit and you feel small, you have all of the financial backing of the wealth of America. They have chosen you to represent them. And therefore you speak in their name, little you, with your briefcase and iPad. What an honour. Slightly scary, but what an honour. That's nothing compared to who we are in Christ. It's incredible that at this time of year in the church calendar, we're remembering this is the time when Jesus was still around. That would have been good, wouldn't it? 2,000 odd years ago, Jesus has come back from the dead and we're told he spent 40 days teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God. But then incredibly, I still don't understand it really, Jesus then decides to go back to heaven, to send his spirits so that he can leave the work to people like you and me. I'm still convinced he made a mistake on that one. Why he didn't just stay around, I'm sure he would have done a better job. But that's what he's done. He wants to use you and me as his ambassadors. And friends, this is so much more than just evangelism. It's nothing less, but it's so much more. So as you walk into work tomorrow, to the office or maybe the school gate, or you visit friends or you stay at home, whatever you do tomorrow, realise that you are ambassadors of the king. How you live, how you act, how you speak reflects on God. But you know what the great thing is about this, God? If you make mistakes tomorrow, if you mess it up, you won't get fired. The next day, you'll be called to be an ambassador for the king again. And of course, there is a message that the world needs to hear. Verse 19, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, we plead with you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. That's our message to a broken world. Be reconciled to God. We plead with people as you may plead with your spouse who's got a certain illness or symptoms and you're pleading with them to go to the doctors because you're worried about the consequences. We're pleading with them like we plead with our friends. Maybe when they take a certain course of action and you know that it's going to destroy them, you plead with them and we are called to plead, to implore people to be reconciled to God. God wants us back on the bridge. God wants us restored, back home, living with him as life was meant to be lived, knowing what it is to have our past forgiven, our conscience cleansed in the here and now, and to have a purpose in life, to live as ambassadors for the king. And that's 
our calling, as it is yours, to be Christ's ambassadors. For us, it's not to get a good name for Acorn Camps or to build up that work solely, but to serve Christ. And as ambassadors, we're to go anywhere. We're going to Hungary. We're incredibly excited. We're totally daunted. There's loads of things we've got no idea what we're going to do, where we'll live exactly after a year, whether we'll get money to set up the Oaks in Hungary. But that's not the point. Because we go as Christ's ambassadors to plead with teenagers, to be reconciled to God, because that is their biggest need. We go as Christians who are still working things out, as Christians in a mess, but Christians who are so loved by God. And so can you this week. Live out your life as God wants you to live. But to do that, you will need to understand and believe and be grabbed by those three aspects. You need to understand that the biggest need people have, your friends in forward who don't know Christ, their biggest need is to be reconciled to God. You need to understand that. And you need to realise that you are white in Christ. He loves you so much, more than you'll ever know or possibly imagine. And you need to know that you are noble and you have a noble calling. We were at New Word Alive last week and it was just, it was great fun. And I think one of the highlights for me was hearing Baroness Cox be interviewed about her life. It's fascinating. Do find that online somewhere. You'll just be inspired But she was telling how she became a baroness and she was as surprised as anybody. And she said, I woke up the next day and I looked in the mirror and I thought, oh, there's a baroness. She said, I've never seen a baroness before. Well, not that close anyway. She thought, I've got no idea what a baroness is meant to be like. But suddenly I'm a baroness. Just because somebody in authority had bestowed upon her that title and that honour. Friends, tomorrow I know you, you're all British or living in England, you're going to wake up tomorrow, you're going to look in the mirror. As you do, don't be horrified, look at yourself and see, I'm an ambassador for Christ. Look at yourself and tell yourself, verse 17, that you are in Christ, you are a new creation if you've turned to Christ. The old has gone, the new has come and God wants to use you today. As his ambassador, ambassador, you're loved by God. You're a new creation. You have a royal robe and a royal role to play in this world of God's. And all he wants us to do is to help people become reconciled to God. Because that is, friends, the most incredible thing, the most wonderful thing in the whole of this world and it changes people's life forever let's pray father god we we sit astounded Astounded at the fact that as we know ourselves and the mess in which we find ourselves, that you love us. That because of Christ we can be white 
forgiven, adopted, loved children of the King. And you call us, each one of us, to be your ambassadors here in this, your world. And I pray that tomorrow as people wake, as we look in the mirror, we would know who we are in you. And whatever faces us tomorrow or next week, that we would know that as we little us in our clothes and our iPad or briefcase, go to our places of work or wherever we are, that we have not the military might of the United States behind us, but we have you behind us and in us and wanting to use us as your children. We sit astounded. And we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.